Welcome to <laughs> Welcome to Dead Headspace, part of Silver Shamrock's Horrorcast, a podcast network that includes Killing Time with Silver Shamrock and Unburying the Dead, where we examine classic horror paperbacks for the new generation. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined not today by Brennan. Why is that? Because he is in the guest chair today. Say hello, Brennan. Hello. And I'm joined by uh, my three co- uh, guest hosts, Ken McKinley. Say hi, Ken. Hi there. Ronald Kelly. Say hi, Ron. Howdy. And Gabino Iglesias. Say hi, Gabino. Hello. And uh, we're going to just basically interrogate Brennan for a little bit about uh, Slattery Falls. And let's just jump into it, man. What got you into horror? Well, first of all, as far as the interrogation thing goes, this does kind of feel like a like a tribunal there. Um, I'm a little afraid to misspeak, but I'll I'll I'll, I'll go for it. Um, you know, we we hear so many answers when we because uh, because we've had well over a hundred episodes of, of this show, and we've asked so many people that question, gotten a lot of great answers, and so many of them, you know, go back to. Uh, I was exposed to something inappropriate at an early age. And, you know, I, I wish I had that story, even though it's cliche. But no, I, I actually was not super into horror growing up. I remember, you know, uh, watching Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare on my little black and white TV in my room that had the little clicky dial on it. And you had to move the rabbit ears if you wanted Freddy to be a little less fuzzy. And, you know, even though that's not one of the better entries in the series, um, to put it lightly... It, it's it was still a lot of fun and it kind of blended that horror and humor that you know i've always kind of loved um you know from there horror has always scared the shit out of me um i remember i don't i think blair witch came out i want to say 99 right around there so i'd have been around 14 years old and i don't think i even saw the movie i just had somebody describe it to me and you know it 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 lived in my head and you know when i finally did see it a few years later that that scene of the kid turned around in the basement at the end like that's always going to stick with me um and then when i got out of college i started to pick up reading a little bit more i kind of got out of that for a while and like so many other people that gateway drug was stephen king i picked up uh the gunslinger um i think that they, you know, they were in attempt number, you know, 53 of however many it took to try and make a Dark Tower movie. And I, uh, you know, it caught my interest. So I picked up the first one and I I slammed through that entire series in, you know, maybe a month, went to the stand after that and then devoured the rest of his catalog over probably another two years. Then I hit this nice little funk where I kind of thought that was it. I never, I couldn't really get into Anne Rice. Um, and I couldn't really get into Dean Koontz. And I just I kind of thought that that was it for a while. And what a weird point of view to think that there's an entire literature genre with only three people writing in it. So, you know, when that when that world blew up and I, I figured out that there are so many more people doing these things, I could have been reading Ronald Kelly this whole time. And it was just it was under my radar. For all I know, it was on a spinning rack in the drugstore right down the street. <laughs> I could add those. <laughs> I could add those paperbacks anytime. But you know what? It's it's I'm absolutely loving the amount of stuff that's out there. How different it is, and all that jazz. 
So what was one of the first ones that you picked up outside of King that really shook you? McCammon. Um, and it, it was it was a while after King. I kind of got to the end of King and went back to the beginning and did it again. Um, but eventually I, I kind of hit the point in the road where I was like, OK, you know, this this whole idiotic idea of there only being a limited amount of, of authors um it, it can't possibly be right and you know i didn't get too far outside the old white guy wheelhouse um but i you know picked up some mccammon i picked up uh some dan simmons um and i can't i can't remember what else off the top of my head and I, you know Ethical issues aside, I never, I couldn't really get into Simmons. Carry On Comfort didn't really do it for me. Uh, his short story collection, I think Prayers Like a Stone, I just, it wasn't for me. Um, but the first McCammon I picked up, I, I don't think it was Swan, I actually don't remember which one it was. I know I got to Swan Song before Boy's Life. Uh, Wolf's Hour was pretty early on for me, and that was... You know, anybody who hasn't read Wolf's Hour absolutely needs to get on that one. It's like, what if James Bond was a was a werewolf? And I mean, could you get a cooler what if than that? It looked like you had more to say, Brennan. I didn't want to cut you off. I didn't. All right. So I want to go back to when you said the thing about how you could have been reading Ronald Kelly. Um and he could have been on a spin rack, right? Like, yeah, that's true. I didn't even think about that. Like, you know, just throwing out uh, John Skip, too. Could have walked past his books a million times and never even connected it because you were a kid and you weren't in that mindset. So that's fascinating because we talk to, you know, we all intersect with each other from time to time. It's pretty neat. If you don't know a person, they know someone. Like, we don't know Stephen King, but we know like five guys that do or whatever, you know, um, it's, it's, it's just a strange world. Uh, Gabino, do you have anything, man? Oh, I have a whole bunch of questions. Um, <laughs> Patrick, Patrick texted me and he said uh, he was thinking about doing a roast. And I thought maybe we could turn it into an interview, but I saved some of those questions. Uh, and my first one is. You you told some bullshit story about how you wrote this before you met him. That's a lie, because this is to both of you are those characters uh, going back and forth. So percentage wise, how much of it is fiction and how much of it is non? <laughs> you know what? That's it's uh, I, I'm, I'm going to be fuzzy on the timeline because, you know, I, I knew Patrick for a little while um, before I started writing that. But it was. You know, just from limited interactions on 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 Twitter, and you know, then we uh, worked on a review platform for a little while, and we, <laughs> I remember, we started getting, you know, we we became good friends uh, around the time that the Patriots got bounced in the uh, early 2020 season. Because because that's what we would talk about, you know, Tom Brady's decline and his first round exit and then eventually his departure. So I had, you know, uh, probably half the book done by the time we became really good friends. But, you know, to answer your question in, you know, a, a totally different way, um, you know, there's there's definitely a lot of me in Travis. Um, I, I know that. uh because he's 
kind of a smart ass, uh, Patrick will say that's him, but it's not uh, <laughs> because because Travis is a smart ass. But, you know, if you read the book, he's insecure as hell. Um, that's right in the first chapter. That's why, you know, he approaches Josh in the first place because he doesn't know how to talk to anybody else. So he kind of puts on this facade. Uh, and, and now I'm going all psychotherapy here. He puts on this face uh, in public, but uh, no, he's he's very insecure. And I, I think, I hope you get a sense of that, you know, through reading the book. What book is this? <laughs> no, but like, I'm not trying to be uh, jokey, even though I just was for sure. But no, can we you were tell just going to let you stew in silence. Sorry, man. Can you tell us, before we go any further with this, can you give us potential readers uh, the synopsis, and then I'll shut the hell up. Sure. So, you know, we've already kind of uh, dived, dove into the characters a little bit, but uh, the book is Slattery Falls. It comes out, it will be out by the time this airs, but it's out on Tuesday, July 20th. And, you know, the basic synopsis is it follows, it starts with these these two friends uh, they're, you know, just kind of starting out college and they meet and one of them kind of has this obsession with uh, in, in investigating uh, paranormal places. Uh, ghost hunting is going to get put on it and it even says it on the back cover. But it's it's a little different than, you know, your sci fi channel, you know, ghost hunting show. Uh, at least I hope it is, because that's what I was going for. Um, so these two friends investigate uh, a house in Connecticut, and they uh, run into a little something. Then they add the cousin of one of the characters, Elsie, uh, to the group through fortuitous circumstances. And the three of them kind of bond over investigating this. It's kind of like, you know, th their life, their their lives for different reasons have all kind of ended up at this point and it's really uh, something to focus on, something to elevate them above, you know, the mediocrity of day-to-day -day life, if you will. Um, and come, you know, it kind of starts in the first house, but by the time they're done with the second house, it's very clear that there are some elements that tie them together, and there's something following them, if you will. And we, about halfway through the book, we jump forward 10 years and we spend the rest of the time dealing with that. Uh, Gabino, is there any follow-up? I, I don't want uh, any of us to kind of take away from your question. Do more, but I think we should do like go around because otherwise I'll take over and keep asking. <laughs> Ron, why don't you take over, sir? Uh, so yeah, I, I read uh, I read the book in April. Um, um, Brandon sent me a, a PDF of it and. And I read it, and and it's actually it's the it's of the of all the books I've read, it's it's one of the three three of my the three favorite books I've read this year. So uh, one was Laurel's um, Crossroads. I'm I'm kind of behind on my reading, so so these are th books that's probably been out for a year or so. But Laurel's uh, Crossroads and Sam's uh, True Crime and and Slattery Falls. I mean, I mean, I, I love this book. I mean, it was uh, I, I, most of all, I, li I liked it because it was written first person. I, I I love that kind of narrative. You know, a lot of you know, there's some readers that don't like first person, but 
but I do, and I mean, I've never, I don't think I've ever written it. I've written some short stories first person, but not an entire novel, so. But uh, it just, you know, I love this book. It drew me in. Um, I could relate to the characters really well, especially Josh, because uh, after I started reading it, I, I got in touch with Brandon, and I said, uh, I'm seeing some autistic tendencies in this character. <laughs> and it was something that he didn't elaborate on in the book, but uh, I, I told him, this, you know, this is my son 10 years from now. So, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I could really relate to uh, all three of the main characters. And and uh, it, it was just, I just love, you know, ghost books and ghost hunting books and stuff like that. So. So, you know, I'm really pleased that this, everybody's going to, the pub, reading public's going to be able to, to read this. Yeah. And, and Ron, I, I, I got to say, you know, I asked, I, I reached out to uh, several people uh, to read it a little bit early and, you know, throw out some thoughts on it. And I, I think I sent those out, like you said, in, in April and said, you know, if you can, if I'm not too much of a thorn in your side, could you please, you know, try and read it for like, you know, the beginning of July. And I think you had it back to me the next week. Um, and you know, you're, you're not sitting around doing nothing, man. You are a busy, busy man. Uh, so for you to make the time, for that, um, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. And then let's not, you know, brush aside the fact that you just put me in a collection with Samantha Koyasnik's True Crime and Laurel Hightower's Crossroads. Like, good, good gravy. Uh, yeah. That's that's some company. <laughs> yeah, those are great books. Ken, uh, when you first read this quick story, um, Brennan told me about it. Please correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Brennan or Ken. But Brennan said that... Uh, I gave it to Ken to read. We talked for half an hour. Just he gave it to you just for feedback to help for him to publish, try to sell it with uh, I forget who, but it took 30 minutes for you to finally say that you wanted to buy it. And Brennan laughs at that every damn time, and so do I. So uh, why don't you tell us your from your point of view, the first person point of view? point of view so i knew when i was talking to him that i wanted to i wanted this story so but you know i like to make him sweat it a little bit so <laughs> no when i read the story um one of the things that struck me was just how good the characters were you know josh elsie um travis they they felt like people i knew um it, and it also felt like something that I would have done in college if I would have pulled my head out of my ass at an early enough age and went for stuff like that. And I, you know, it it really drew me in. Um, and then his settings and stuff on there, it really, you, you know, again, you, you felt it down to your bones with this. And, you know, when he first pitched the idea to me, I, you know, for, for lack of a better term, I mean, that was what I... I expected was the whole uh, ghost hunter type of thing and again there's it's been done so poorly over the years that i really wasn't expecting a lot and he kicked the door open and shoved this thing in my face and made me read it type of thing that's what it was to me so when i read this manuscript and i, I got a taste of the story line 
as well as the character development stuff that he had there. I really thought he had something special, and it, it's it, he has a voice for a debut author that a lot of them don't, and that's hard to find. Uh, usually, it's you know they, they're, there's so much you have to clean up with debuts. His wasn't that way. He had a few of the first time issues, but you know nothing that was a deal breaker. So it it excited me because you know I kind of root for the guy a little bit. I mean, we've got kind of a relationship and stuff with him being a reviewer, and he's reviewed a ton of our 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 work. So you know you do root for the ones that are the good ones, and. You know, when I, I got a taste of that, I didn't feel like I had to worry about my friendship, you know, making a mess of, you know, my judgment. He, like I said, he his story kicked the door in. It made you want to read it. Um, I couldn't help myself. It was that good. Now, I'm I'm really curious, man. Uh, with debut authors, what I think this would be a good learning moment for, you know, newer writers too uh what do you think is something that you would advise to kind of hit the brakes on and what i mean is i'm kind of leaning towards our debut authors do they tend to rush um the process do they seem like they're kind of putting out the first novel that they wrote and maybe they're kind of getting a little bit too big for their britches along those lines what's your advice what what separated Brennan from other debut authors? That's a weird way to phrase it, how I just did, but that's how I did it. <laughs> um, again, the, the character development, uh, you know, he had a little bit of a passive voice that a lot of debut authors do, and even ones that have a handful of them under their belt, they'll, they'll have a, a passive voice. Um, he had some of that, but nothing, again, that it was, was a, a deal breaker on it. It was very easily correctable. But again, the, the character development, that was, I, I can't stress how important that was for the story. Um, for, it's, it's not a very long story, so you don't have a, a lot of time to create that in-depth characters like you would in, say, a, a three, 400-page novel. Um, but literally after, you know, 20 pages or, you know, 10,000 words, I was totally invested in these characters. I, I wanted to see you know, where they were going, what, what was this going to happen to them? Um, what was around the corner for them? It, it, it drew me in and that's, it's harder to describe outside of that. It's just a feeling. It just, it pulls you in. Like, you know, someone's got a line on you. It's tugging you through the water. It just, it, you just, you can't wait to see what's on the other side. Agreed. Uh, Gabino, I'm dying to hear what your, your thoughts are, man. So I have a, I have a half cooked email, uh, Cause I wrote my blurb and it was, this sucks. And then I realized <laughs> I need to, we're not doing the roast fan. No, no I, need to, the plans. <laughs> I needed, I needed to make it a little longer. No, but actually, uh, I'll, I'll do, a, I'll do a funny one and a serious one. And I'm just, I'm glad, uh, uh, Ken is here to talk a little bit about this. Uh, the first thing that I enjoyed, uh, from the book was, uh, I don't think you get 15 pages in, before he literally says, listen, I don't want to waste your time. So for me, it was like, you start reading and the pacing is just like, yes, there's a little bit of story about each one of the houses. Yes, there's obviously character development. Uh, there's a lot of humor in there, you know, the short dialogue back and forth. Uh, but it's it's go, 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 go. <laughs> like it never fucking stops. Um, and and uh, it was it was that line. And also when... Uh, 
he decided to do away because I've, I've read, you know, novels about ghost haunting before, and you could literally count paragraphs of uh, equipment. Like, this is what we're going to set up, and this is how we do the camera thing, and this is how we capture the EVPs. <laughs> and uh, that moment when he's like, we're going to fucking do away with the doohickeys, <laughs> I was like, yes, uh, he, he's, he's aware of, of pacing. Uh, and that we don't have a lot of time, especially when we're when we when we're craving that, you know, fun, creepy, fast paced. Uh, uh, what are you going to find in the next room type of horror? Um, and I know it's it's we're dealing with the debut author so that there's there's a mix of that comes naturally to some people. But also there's a lot of cutting and learning how to how to not do the passive voice and how not to talk about the color of the 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 walls if you're actually paying attention to the ghost. Uh, so I guess the question is for both uh, uh, Brandon and and, uh, and Ken uh, about how that process went, because this thing goes by fast there is no extra fat there is no gristle there is no filler there's no dumb well we're driving let's talk about your mom and the weather and sports <laughs> none of that it's just like hey we, we're gonna go to this house let's hit it up you know we're gonna do a little bit of lock picking and, and in we go uh so yeah this is one of those serious questions how was the uh the process of trying to nail you know, that pacing, like that, it, this is a horror novel, uh, almost a horror novella. It's like you start it and it almost demands to be read in, in one or two sittings. So <clears throat> when I started writing this, not really knowing what I was doing, I figured it was going to be a longer novel. I mean, if, if you, you know, made me guess on day one, how long is this thing going to end up being? I, I'd have probably put it, you know, over 200 pages, you know, maybe south of 300 and I found myself just skipping the boring parts. You know, it's simple as that, really. If it if I found it boring, I, you know, crossed it out and moved on um, back to something Ron said earlier. He, he said he enjoyed, uh, you know, the fact that it was in first person. And, uh, you know, I started writing it because that's just what I thought it wanted. And. I, I would come across, you know, these opinions every so often that, you know, a novel should be in third person, um, that that's just kind of a lot of people accept that that's just the way it is. And if I had listened to that and said, I need to rewrite this in third person, I don't believe it would have worked. Um, and, you know, as far as the point you brought up, Gabino, with um, where he says, I don't want to waste your time. Absolutely. You know, that that chapter you're referring to we could have gone you know through every room in the house but even you know in detail but even if something you know spooky occurs in every single house it's gonna lose its punch by the third room and you know then when something of consequence happens the reader's half asleep uh or i'm half asleep so i'm assuming the reader's bored too uh the, there's you know another thing that i i felt like kind of and and that that whole I don't want to bore you. That's something you can't do in third person. Um, you can if you're doing a first person narration, you could say, let me just skip over the crap. Um, you can skip over the crap in third person, but you can't call the reader's attention to it. Um, Unless there, you're Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and there's another moment. If it's not in that chapter, it's pretty soon after 
where, you know, they go through, uh, they talk about all the things that they, that other, the hauntings other people have experienced in this house. Um, and then when they get in, he's like, I think I remember something about, you know, a Navy ship, but I don't know, it's, it's flown the coop at this point. And, and you know, I, I did some research into, cause the, the, the Nathan Hale Museum, the the Hale House in Coventry, Connecticut, it's a real place. It has, you know, real reports of uh, everything you read in that chapter where they're talking about it. You know, that's, you know, essentially factual until they actually get into the house and I just start making shit up. Um, but, you know, in that moment, you're, you know, especially the way that we've set up this narrator, he's not going to be like, ah, yes, of course, his brother, you know, Thaddeus. No, no, he's not. That, that's not his type. He's not going to remember all the details. So for him to say, I think there was something like this, that that just felt authentic to me. Um, but, you know, back to your original question, how do we set up the pacing? I, I would at the risk of sounding, you know, borderline arrogant, I would say the pacing was always there because I didn't want it to be boring. You know, I wouldn't get through a page and say, you know, I'm going to leave the, all this detail. I'd take it out immediately when I was writing the thing. Gotcha. Yeah. And when I was doing the editing and stuff on it, there wasn't anything in there that we took out to tighten up the pacing. The pacing, like you said, was already there. Um, one of the best things about the story is how authentic it is. And it's those little details that he just talked about, how the character's like, uh, yeah, you know, how can I remember this, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's that's exactly what would happen to me. And just like he said, you know, it's that's what would happen to him. Um, that That's one of the things I really do love about the story is how authentic these characters are. They're not they're not perfectly remembering stuff. They're you know, they're aware. The awareness is there. Um, and, you know, the the banter back and forth, I, I just, when I was reading this, I just kept thinking, yeah, this is how me and my college friends would have been. We'd have been busting each other's chops, and but yet we would have been there for each other. You know, it's just a, you know, a real a relationship, so it, I like that a lot. Ken, curious, why did you edit this, as opposed to Kenneth Kane? Um, I don't know. There was something about the story. So I do this from time to time, where... Uh, I'll choose a story that it'll speak to me in a certain way where I think I have a pretty good idea of what I'd like to see tightened up on it. And I will jump in there and I'll do that. And, you know, again, I, to tell you specifically what about this story it is, I don't know. It's just a feeling. And I've done that for a handful of them that we've released. And then you know, the majority of them, Ken Kane does, and he does an absolute amazing job, but he does a different kind of editing than I do. He's He's got awareness that I, I, I can't even begin to start. But this one was clean. I didn't feel like it, it needed any of the stuff that, um, that I couldn't bring to the table. And it just, it spoke to me. So, um, yeah, I wanted to throw my, my hat in the ring on this one. So for some reason. So hopefully for better or for worse. If it bombs, then I'll blame it on Kane. So, <laughs> you know what, man? Uh, my opinion on the book was that I echo what the uh, what Ron and Ken and Cabino said, but also uh, when I when I read Weeks, I mean, like that guy legit creeped me out. 
he doesn't care about anything, and that's scary. A person that doesn't care about crossing any border or, or ethical line or what ha- whatever you want to put in there, whatever variable would frighten you, he, that's him. That's Weeks. And um, I, I felt like Abino mentioned 15 pages in or whatever. Just there was some, It felt real. I mean, Josh is an outcast, if you will, for lack of a better word, but he he's someone that you care about. And you were very, uh, whether it's conscious decision or not, you were very focused on uh, character development. And that's, you know, that's the biggest thing, man. Um, someone talked to Tom Hanks before and said, how do you know what movies to pick? And, and he, you know, how do they get all successful and how do they blow up like they do and basically said that uh, i'm paraphrasing he said that it's about people you know we focus on the people first that's the anchoring uh, uh reference point that's how you or me or whoever can relate to that person and um you put them in a situation and you're gonna want to see them get out of it safely and when they don't it rips your heart out um so i'll leave it at that because i feel like i'm about to breach some spoiler territory so um i just want to say that cover i want to hear from you brennan what your thoughts are uh when you first saw keelan patrick burke's cover for this i mean there there's nobody who who's doing work quite like him in you know in in the in the horror genre uh so uh, then uh as over the moon as excited as i was uh you know when when silver shamrock picked up the book one of the initial thoughts wasn't even my book's going to be in readers hands it was keelan's going to do a cover for it um and you know it's it's i worked with him you know through ken so i passed the ideas to ken ken passed them passes them to keelan so i don't know for all i know i know he just listened to my ideas and then said okay here's what i actually want you to do (laughs) but uh no it, it was my my original vision and i had to you know weigh it out in my head for like six months because i just couldn't figure out the visual was i i want silhouettes i want the three characters and i want them in silhouettes you know they're nothing against um people who put a more you know almost photographic image of a character on the cover but then you're already telling the reader exactly what to do um and you know patrick you've read enough stuff that i've written to know that i don't give everything i don't like giving everything to the reader you know i when when i write a story i like to think of it as an interactive experience you know i i'm doing the work but you know you got to meet me halfway and you got to think about you know you got to fill in some blanks here so you know I, i i the the character description in the book is relatively bare bones you know if if you really think about what does travis look like you don't know because it i i i never tell you it almost get weird if he was just talking about what he looks like all the time um but he's not the the character tell us so so long-winded way of saying i always wanted the three characters but i wanted them in silhouette to you know leave a little to the imagination and let people fill in the blanks themselves um and i liked the idea of having them looking down you know the staircase once they get to the week's house uh 
in the third act. I, I, I wanted them looking down. And then I thought, you know what? It'd be even cooler if they were if if something if our viewpoint wasn't from, you know, the character's point of view, but if it was from the the house's point of view, from the basement's point of view or whatever is in the basement's point of view. Uh, and then Keelan added all the smoke. Um, and I'm so glad he did because we could have ended up, you know, just with what I provided him, we could have ended up with a very black and white, you know, cover. And instead we've got some, some color and we've got a, a lot to draw the eye on there. Um, and I love the cover, but it was, you know, once I saw the full spread with the back cover, which for video listeners, uh, you know, we, we've got kind of that dark smoke, but then when you turn it over, it kind of lightens up, but that oh, pattern so continues. fucking cool. I've never I seen that back cover before. Oh, well, I sent it to you. You probably just didn't look at it. That's embarrassing. <laughs> I didn't look at it. I don't read shit you sent me. That's why I didn't see it. Did you really send me that? Yeah. Oh, I'm a terrible friend. Yep. You know, you know, I think I think it's very important for a writer to be able to work with a with the cover artist or the cover designer because, uh, I mean, most writers do have vision for their cover, and, and you know, I certainly do. I want all things and and uh, claws and stuff usually, but but um, um, you know, back when I wrote for Zebra, I didn't have that. I mean, the only time I saw what the cover is going to be like is when they send me the cover flat and it was too late. I mean, you, you couldn't protest or anything like that, but, but I mean, with the indie press, I mean, you, uh, you know, you can work closely with the, the artists and designers and, and I know Ken's very well, you know, he's very receptive about, you know, what, uh, what the author likes on the cover or, um, uh, uh the two artists I work with, Alex McVeigh and, and Zach McCain, they're always on board with my ideas. And so, I, I, yeah, it, it, that's a big benefit of, uh, of working with the indie press because, uh, I mean, you, you, you almost get to set your own show, you know, as far as, you know, writing the book and how you want to present it and, and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I think that's that's a very important benefit we we have with this industry. You know, it's something I didn't have with the mass market at all. So that's you know, that's what I have to say about it. <laughs> and and I think the bigger you go, you know, it it's certainly seems like the less say you have. You know, I I wouldn't say no to having my book in uh, Barnes and Noble, but some some of the horror covers there, they're just they're not the best. You know, and you have to imagine that when the publisher is investing that much in the marketing campaign for the book, then they're not going to you, you, you as the author are not going to have quite as much say in what goes on that front cover. Right. It, it's not just books, too, man. It's everything like one of my childhood friends, one of my child best friends. Uh, he was a very good figure skater and uh, skated for Disney on Ice and um did some he's an actor too and he did some bigger stuff and he said he told me same thing that you just said brian the bigger it is he goes it seems like everything kind of just is hitting a slow s stop and you know you, you you kind of out of the loop and that i think i think we can all agree that that's 
kind of what makes independent publishing special. Well, you know, with with like mass market or the big publishers, I mean, you have you have too many people involved. You've got like committees, and you've got you know groups to to do studies and stuff on on what needs to be done. Well, you know that sometimes that gets in the way. Well, a lot of times it gets in the way, but um, you know, with a indie press, I mean, you have the publisher, you usually have one or two people involved and like we can, it's him and, and uh, well, actually we can, it's him and uh, Kenneth Kane, Kenneth Kane and <clears throat> the, the artist, you know, so, um, and that's, you know, that's usually a good team up, you know, it's, it's, it's as little people involved as, as possible is is better in my opinion yeah and i think a lot with the the mass market like you said the higher you go not only is it there's more cooks in the kitchen but a lot of times the cooks aren't a fan of the food you're making mm -hmm. and you know if you're not a horror fan but yet you're in charge of horror production to me that's that's a bad recipe um I think that's why I love horror the indie horror industry as it is now because the ones that are doing it right, you can tell they are huge fans of the industry. They eat and breathe this stuff, and you can see it coming out in the product. And you know, to me, there's there's never been a better time to be a horror author than right now. Yeah, I agree. So I got a question for you. Can you give us a little bit of a genesis of this story came about? The genesis of how the story came about? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, sorry, you cut out a little was, bit there. I remember right. You said this was your 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 uh, first story you ever wrote. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the the short lead up to that is when I when I kind of hit that king phase, you know, around twenty twenty one. Uh, I, I've always kind of been that I, I, I'm never happy just looking at art and listening to art. I want to I want to make it, um, you know, I'm, I'm not just going to listen to music. I got to learn to play the instrument um, and then I got to go off on my own and do something like that. And I wanted to try that with writing and I just I had no idea how to start. So I just I, I didn't. Um, it it really seemed like the people who did it had a natural inclination, had a degree, had some sort of training that I didn't have. Um, and I just, I had no idea where to begin. Um, and, you know, it was really once I discovered the quality of, you know, the, the quantity and the quality of, of horror out there, I said, I, I wanted to give it a try. And I sat up, you know, a lot of nights trying to like write in my head you know trying to figure out plot and premise and characters and it just you know I couldn't do it um I had always heard that's you know that writers are writing even when they're not that they're always telling a story in their head and I <laughs> I don't have that setting I I've got to be in front of a piece of paper or I've got to be in front of a computer and once I figured that out you know all systems were go but I just I started carrying a notebook around with me and writing for you know writing on my lunch break and you know i filled up i actually have it right here this is the first 30 pages or so of of that book um and 
I would write for a couple weeks, kind of have this crippling self-doubt that said, you don't know what you're doing. Put that away and eat your damn lunch. And then I'd get back to it and, you know, back and forth, back and forth. And the, you know, between trying to work forward in that, uh, I penned out a couple short stories, ended up, uh, you know, typing those up, submitting one, didn't get picked, but I got a really nice, encouraging rejection letter. Um, and, you know, it's I almost sometimes I'll wonder, um, Cabino, even going back to our uh, the episode you were part of about, you know, rejections, I wonder if maybe this novel doesn't come about if I get a shitty rejection letter. Um, but as it stands, I didn't, I got something that said, you know, this isn't right for us, but it really shows a lot of promise. You know, we'd love to look at more in the future. Um, so then I started typing this up and I would put in, you know, about a thousand words a day. It certainly helped that when I really got down to it, I was working from home as most of us were at the beginning of 2020. And, uh, you know, that was it. This, the, the first page of, the first handwritten page of this was the first thing I ever tried to write, essentially. I can't get over that. Dude, I wrote at least six novels, three novellas, over 30, like, not 30, 20 short stories. And they didn't touch Slattery Falls. Well, hold on, let me go, go back to the first one. Who, who knows? <laughs> Also, also, then you have my biggest fear. You know, what if I just blew my load? <laughs> That's what she said. Hey, so the first, <laughs> the first short story, Tara's my my wife was my first uh, beta reader for the first story, and she couldn't get past the first two pages because my tenses were mixed up because I haven't read a whole lot before that time back in 2013 and. Uh, it's going to take years to learn how to write the right, right, the right. It's going to take years how to learn how to write the right way. Um, so what I'm getting at is, man, you came along very quick, very, very well. And uh, I, I don't really know how to end this part of the uh, conversation besides good job. But you'll know the one the 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 question I'll answer that wasn't there is I just don't think you can <laughs> I don't think you can undersell how important reading is. I mean, yeah. I I didn't I didn't pick up a, a pen and and try to write until I was 33 years old, but you know, god damn it, I spent the 13 years before that uh reading well over 100 books a year. So even though I wasn't writing, I was getting ready to do it. Um it, you just you can't you can't uh i can't overstress just how important it is if you want to write to read and to read a lot of stuff because i love horror i'm you know i i believe in reading widely although i am definitely a lot more horror focused than i used to be but i'll i'll read you know there there was a long time when uh when i ran out of king books to read when i would grab you know uh science fiction when i would grab fantasy when i would grab uh you know uh whatever the hell Vonnegut and Polinick get lumped into. Um, Transgressive, and, I think. Yeah, maybe. Um, or just Vonnegut and Polinick. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. you know, if, if you, when you're, when you're reading that, like you're teaching yourself to write, you really are. Um, it's you, when you read a great book, it's a, it's a 200 page free lesson. Yeah. Uh, gentlemen, jump in. 
<laughs> I don't know if they've told you yet, Brennan, but um, when your seventh, sixth novel, whatever, it comes out, and then you'll be doing a signing, and somebody will come up to you with Slattery Falls and give it to you to sign, uh, you're probably going to hate it. So use this time, <laughs> use this time to listen to what people have to say about it. Because when the dark days come, you're gonna have a little chunk of some to like, hey, I did it already. <laughs> I, I wrote it. I got it. Somebody liked it. Uh, they they uh, they put it out. I got a great cover, and the the reception was awesome. And that's the one thing with with like debut authors is like try to enjoy the process as much as you can learn everything that you can because then you're gonna write the second one and you're gonna if all goes well it'll be a little better because remember it's not about being great it's about getting better with each new book so seven books down the line somebody's gonna hand you this one like oh man i discovered this one on amazon and it's it you killed it and you're gonna be like oh fuck that one sucks. <laughs> yeah, King. King. I, I heard King say on an interview that he hates. I'm paraphrasing. I don't want to say he hates it, but he's not a fan of Carrie. Yeah, well, I and I, I forget that. And, and <laughs> the longer you do it, um, I, I, I see Ron. I, I see Brian Keene. I see folks that have been at it for for you know a while. And you talk to them about the early days, and they're like, "I don't know. I, I had no idea what I was doing." <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, that'd be that'd yeah. be great to ask Ron. What about you? Sorry to cut you off, Camino. Yeah. Ron, what 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 do you what do you like? Do you see hindsight? Do you see fear? Do you see any of your early books come out that you're like, "What the hell was I doing?" <laughs> well, actually, I I think I did a pretty good job, you know, because you know, Zebra was like a stable of non-professional writers who were learning their craft as they went i mean that's why a lot of people were, were totally down on some zebra books because you know they're a piece of crap you know but uh, but uh you know i i went in you know I'd, I'd been writing short stories for the small press for a while and you know that's that's where i cut my teeth on short fiction and then when i started writing novels you know for the mass market I tried to do the best I could. I mean, I, I learned as I went, and and uh, by the time I reached fear, I think I'd, you know, I was pretty well tuned and and had found my voice. You know, it was very solid and concrete, and and uh, but you know, the first book, hindsight, I I have I have great, um, you know, I have a great love for that because it has a lot of personal history and everything in it a family history um now i i had i did reread undertaker's moon and and there was a lot of things in there i just cringe at because you know i think i used the word bestial about two thousand times in that book <laughs> but uh, i mean it is a werewolf book so you know, I, I guess that was my favorite word back then when i was writing that but um yeah, I mean, um, uh, it is it, like Gabino said. You know, down the line, you're going to see where, you know, you know, you might think, well, that's the best I could do at the time because I was, you know, constantly learning and and honing my craft, which um, you know I still think that way. Uh, um, you know, I have just now, you know, when I came back into writing and 
2006, I mostly depended on my old books to, you know, because I had a back list of, of work and everything. And, and so I didn't do novels for a long time. It wasn't until The Buzzard Zone that I did a absolute, you know, I did a brand new novel, which was several years after I came back because I was, you know, I was doing the short fiction mostly and, and, uh, and depending on old books to kind of motivate me to, to get back into the business. But now I'm starting to get into longer works and, you know, I'm working on the, uh, you know, book one to the Dead Eye series and everything. And I'm, I'm getting ready, I'm getting ready to do, uh, the sequel to Fear and that's going to be, pretty long book it's it, it'd probably be around the same length as fear was you know so because there's a lot of you know there's a lot to explore and a lot to to go back and and look at and everything as far as that storyline and uh and i am collaborating with someone for the very first time and i'm not going to elaborate on who that is i know several of you know who it is <laughs> but uh, and there's there's been some speculation in the in you know on facebook and twitter you know the people's already guessed who i'm right with but but that's going on very very well and um but uh, yeah i mean even this collaboration i'm doing is it's, it's a learning experience you know you know I, this is first time i've done it and and it's uh it's going very well i mean i'm I'm depending on my co-writer to kind of leave me alone because he has co-written quite a bit. So, yeah. But uh, so I've got a question for you, Ron, as well as Gabino. Um, do you feel that there's any truth in the saying uh, "sophomore slump" when it comes to writing? And if so, what advice do you have for young Brennan to avoid that? I, uh, go uh, oh, go please, ahead. Go. No, go ahead. Oh, I, I was going to say, uh, I didn't hear about that till after my second book was out. But then, <laughs> <laughs> so I skipped the whole process. But there's a point where, um, and I've seen this with, with a lot of musicians, friends of mine, that it's, uh, you you got nothing to lose with that first one because nobody gives a shit. Nobody's paying attention. You haven't published <laughs> anything. So you go all out, you do whatever you want, and, and then if it works, suddenly you realize, oh, there's an editor who's going to look at this, and we're going to have to fix some stuff if it's not working all right. And uh, if I went, um, I don't know, super violent on the first one, am I going to create expectations on my readership? And how am I going to deliver on those? So I think the, the the slump usually comes if it comes from overthinking. It's kind of like you know you set yourself up for for failure because you're now you're worried like oh my god am I a professional now? What am I doing? Am I going to deliver on time? Do I do I have a deadline? Uh, it has to be better. You know that <laughs> it has to be better than your previous one. Um, and you can't rehash your, your previous book, no matter how good it was and how successful it was. Um, so don't don't spend a lot of time thinking about it. You already did it once. You survived. Uh, move on to the next one and, and, and try to get it done. It'll be a different story. It'll be a different experience. Um, roll with the punches and just, just get the thing done. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, 
with me, I really didn't hit a sophomore slump because I had already sold my second book uh, right after the first book, and then I was doing multi-book deals, and and I was just in that that you know that long process of let's do novel, 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 and and you know writing for Zebra was a was a it was an isolated process process. You didn't really get much feedback from fans and, and all that, like you do now because you have social media. Uh, and, uh, so, you know, I was like it in my little, my little box zebra world. And, and uh, it wasn't until it was all over. That, that's when I hit the slump right there is when, when zebra shut their doors and, and, you know, horror was kind of poisoned at the time. So, uh, but, uh, you know, I really, you know, I did the first novel. Uh, I already had the second novel written, and they snatched that up. So so it wasn't like, you know, I was actually worried about, you know, is anybody going to like the second novel or anything? Because it, it was such a speedy process back then. Um, so uh, I don't think I ever, it was only when I came back and, and, things were harder it was harder to get your name out there and and a lot of people have forgotten me in 10 years and and that's when i hit the slump and you know i'm thankfully i'm out of the slump now yeah i mean in 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 response to that you know as, as far as the slump goes i love gabino's answer of you just skipped it you you, you didn't find out about it until it was already passed no one told me <laughs> yep wait wait uh, no uh, here's a better question would you have given shit about it <laughs> <laughs> i you know and and i think the way i i dealt with any semblance of that cuz you know i've i've heard plenty of people talk about the um you know the 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 expectations on the first novel um because it's you know it's got to be everything you have to say you know all going into one book this is the first thing people are going to read uh you know from you and i i never I, I had an easy time not buying into that it's it's a story it's it does yeah. not have to represent the entirety you know it does not have to be everything that i have to say it's 130 pages i sure as i hope it's not everything i have to say um but you know, the way I tried to deal with that is I, you know, I finished the book and I, I, I did what you're supposed to. I put it away for six weeks and I started something else, uh, I, whether it was another book or whether it was uh, a short story. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. I, you know, and then when I was ready, I went through it with a fine tooth comb and, you know, picked it apart, sent it off to some people to read, uh, got some fantastic notes from uh, from Patrick. Um, Janine Pipe was one of my early readers and had a lot of great things to say and a lot of helpful stuff. Um, and then, you know, spent the next however many months uh, jumping back and forth between writing other stuff and just trying to polish this and get it ready to go somewhere. And thankfully that somewhere ended up being Silver Shamrock. Uh, dream publisher since day one. And, you know, I couldn't be happier to have to have my book there. Brendan, we already signed you. You don't have to kiss my ass. <laughs> well, I, I might want to work with you again, okay? <laughs> oh, okay. Kiss away. That's not how friendship works, by the way, Brendan. So. Yeah, that's true. I'll I'll pass this on to you because uh, I had a conversation with uh, Josh Mallerman, and 
And this thing stuck with me. And he said, uh, your writing career is like creating a Frankenstein's monster. Uh, you, you put everything you have into each one of your, of your works. And then you're going to have a book. Uh, you don't know which one that's going to be like the head, right? And another one's going to be like the right arm. But you're going to have a book that's going to be like the left pinky. Uh, <laughs> and that, it doesn't fucking matter. It's there. You need it for it to be like a whole thing. Uh, and you don't know if the next one is going to be like the torso or your right leg. So you have to write it anyway. Uh, and that, that stuck with me, man. Like it's a, Not all of them are going to be the exact same process. Not all of them are going to connect in the exact same way with readers. Uh, but you already started. So you have like one piece of the, of the monster. And now you have to keep going until uh, you die. <laughs> That's so don't die. That's another one. To try not to die. And then you can keep doing it. Trying real hard every day, man. That's funny. That's a great analogy, though. I love the Frankenstein monster thing. Yeah. yeah. Pat, were you saying something? I just, sorry. I was just turning my head because that was very loud thunder crack. Um, I was just going to say that uh, Brennan just made a, he was, I don't know if he did it on purpose, but he was referring to uh, what Josh Malerman said to us. And he was taught. Were you doing that on purpose, Brennan? Uh, I was thinking of of Josh, but I wasn't sure whether it was when he came on our show or was or was another one of the uh, lots of interviews I've heard with him. So it was our show where he talked about how. Uh, uh, I don't know where people that authors uh, coming out with their first book debut authors. Uh, try putting every single thing that they want to say in that first book, and, and that that's that's a very overwhelming uh, feeling. Um, when you first, because you said that you started writing this before, basically you kind of like knew any of us and uh, the scene. How'd you feel? How'd you feel going into it? Did you feel like I gotta do all this, or it's not gonna meet my expectations? Or were you just writing a story that you're like, this is what I want to say? <laughs> I was just writing. Um, I mean, from, <laughs> I, 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 I don't have a better answer than that. I mean, so much of this story was, let's, you know, my, my one of my all time favorite quotes was from Neil Gaiman, you know, said that what makes a story great is that every time you get to the end of a paragraph, end of a page, end of a chapter, the reader should be asking themselves what happens next. And and I, and I found myself just doing that with this story. And the in this, you know, 35,000 word, 35 chapter, it, it, there's 35 chapters. They're short. I think the longest one is like five pages. Um, and it's not necessarily 35 cliffhangers that would be exhausting, but I, I just, I, I wanted to, I would write a little bit and create like just a little scene. And then I'd say, come back to it the next day and say, what happens next? Or, you know, when imposter syndrome showed up, come do it back to it in three weeks and say, okay, now I need to know what happens next. We took like a mid season break. Now, now we got to go forward. So, I mean, no, there was, I, I, put no pressure whatsoever on myself to put my entire life story in there. Uh, I didn't know whether that I didn't know that was something I was supposed to do. Thank thankfully. Um, so I just, I, I had an idea for a story, a very vague idea for a story. Um, and I just wanted to get it down a couple pages at a time. Now you talk about how, um, 
with Josh. He's, and this is kind of hinted or implied, but um, he's on the spectrum. And that, for listeners that have heard quite a few episodes, they know that your both your sons are on the spectrum. Um, they played, obviously, a heavy role into this. I just be, you know what, the more we talk about this subject, the more, um, like, Friday, which was two, uh, yeah, yesterday, a guy in the locker room at the end of the day was just talking about his little girl and said that she was on the spectrum. And I, I was like, right on. And I'm just thinking this affects more people than we we probably know. So I think it's a very important subject to tackle. And you had them in your debut book. Um, why? Why did you? Uh, why'd you write it that way? I guess that's not really a great way to word it that way. But um, I don't no, know I know what you mean. Word. Yeah, I, I know ahead. what you mean. You know what? What made? Oh, I already said it, Gabino. Let him answer. <laughs> Sorry, man. Sorry, this is Gabino show. My bad. <laughs> so. You know, I, I mentioned earlier that when I when I write a story, I, I like to kind of interact with the reader. I like to leave a little open in their imagination. And I realized pretty early on that I was writing Josh in a way where my belief is that he is autistic and it never comes up in the story. And there are a fair few potential reasons for that it could be the th there could be the fact that he just chooses never to to say it uh it could be the fact that he you know because of when the story takes place and i i imagine the uh you know the second half taking place right about now they watch um they watch 1408 in the first half of the book and i think that came out in like 07 so that's pretty much when I was in college. So that's pretty much where I based it. Um, and it would not be uncommon for somebody who would be labeled high functioning, which I don't love, but that's what Josh would be high functioning to not be diagnosed at all. Um, I, I don't. I'm going to do it anyway, but I, I don't like necessarily saying this is my view. This is how you have to interpret it. I want everybody to kind of be able to go in and put their own spin on it. But um, I as a teacher, I deal with uh, a lot of kids who are autistic and are diagnosed. And for whatever reason, their parents uh, have opt not to share that with them. And I, you know, I'm a big proponent of not judging, you know, a, another parent, but I just I can't get behind that decision. Um, I think it's 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 the way that your brain is wired. It's it's a very, very. It's it's you're different. Your, your brain literally functions differently than most of the people around you. And I've seen kids that I've worked with from a young age hit this point in middle school, hit this point in high school where they're unhappy and they are teased and they are different and they don't have an answer for why that is. And it, it it's heartbreaking to me. So my my view of the story, um, you know, Josh's parents don't figure super prominently into it, but there's there's a distance in that relationship. It's hinted at, you know, within the first 25 pages or so um and 
to a degree it comes back later. Um, my my interpretation is that he was diagnosed and they never shared that with him. But um, as far as why I chose to put him in the story, I, that comes back to first person again, if I'm honest. Um, I would not feel comfortable writing from the viewpoint of an autistic person. And I, I'm a believer in, you know, writing the story as necessary, writing in a way to, as a way to understand. But I can only understand, you know, how the autistic brain works from a studious and observer's point of view. So that's what I did in the book. Everything that we see with every one of Josh's, um, not ticks, but every behavior, whether it's avoiding eye contact, whether it's, um, you know, uh, speech patterns, whether it's uh, hyper-focusing on certain things, we get it from Travis's viewpoint and his interpretation of it. Um, and, you know, as far as the way my boys figure in, I, I don't want to say he's, Josh is based off either one of them, but I'd say it's more, he's more based off my personal fears of how the world will treat them when they're older. Ron, can you please jump in, man? Yeah, I mean, Josh, you know, it was obvious from the beginning that I knew what, you know, that Josh was on the spectrum because uh, my, my son, he has this, a lot of the same traits. I mean, he obsesses and focuses on one certain uh, thing at a time. I mean, I can see him doing ghost hunting. That would be something he would focus on and, and do it for quite a while. I mean, uh, Ryan, he... Uh, I mean, he'll he'll focus on video games for certain video games for a while, and then he'll get into history for a while. And I mean, he would, you know, when he's off his medication, he hops back and forth like a, a ball on a pinball machine. But but uh, you know, when he's on his medication, he's more focused, and and he, you know, he settles on one particular subject, and and that's what he he's happy with at the moment, you know? So, yeah, I, I can, I, I really saw a lot of him and Josh and, and, uh, I mean, he, he's not as severe as some kids are. He, he does make eye contact. He's a little shy around certain people because they intimidate him. He, um, if, if people seem interested in what he has to say to him, he will talk your ears off. But, um, you know, I think it was very important that, that this character, you know, I mean, you didn't come out and say that he was autistic, but um, I think people who are familiar with, this, you know, uh, people who are on the spectrum or have children will, will pick up on it. You know? and, and I also think that it's completely possible to read the entire book, not pick up on that and, you know, read Still yeah. enjoy it, I suppose. Um, okay. It's it's definitely, to my mind, it's integral to the character. It's but it's it's who he is, you know. Whether you put a label on on it or not, um, it makes for his personality. And if I'm honest, I had, I, I had fun writing these characters. I love these three characters, um, maybe more than than any character I've written since. Um, yeah. 
I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Without going into spoilers, the way you ended it, just uh, you're not as graphic as a writer as I am, but you gutted me as a reader, man. And I'll leave it at that. Gabina, why don't you take over? It seems like you got something to say, sir. No, I I, I kind of enjoyed because uh, you you get the the lack of eye contact almost from the get go, uh, and uh, you know write, writing otherness is something that I teach, and it's one of the first things I try to tell my students is like just because somebody's a person of color or, or a member of the LGBTQ community or on the spectrum or you know otherwise neurodivergent, that's that's part of their life. It's not the only one thing that they are. <laughs> so usually you take like, oh, this person's gay. So being gay is going to be the entire character. You know, they have no life, no interest, no love. Uh, they don't pay bills. They don't go to work. They don't, they don't think about politics or religion or philosophy because they're gay. And that's the one thing that they do. Um, and in here, it's, it's exactly how you should do it. These are normal people going on about their lives with this one element that makes them different. And that difference is like who they are, but also how everybody else perceives them, whether they're aware of, of how they're doing it or not. Uh, so it kind of felt like the, um, if I walk into a room uh, where there's like 50 uh, uh, white folks and there's one other person of color, if we're looking around and then we see each other, we're gonna give each other the nod. And this was kind of like that. It's like, hey, if you know, you know, and if you don't, well, enjoy the rest of it because there's this entire other universe happening, uh, and that was that was a nice little touch. Thank you. you know, yeah, that's 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 what I was hoping for is is to you know, and and I I certainly wanted to avoid. I didn't want to get to a point where you know we get into a stressful situation and he you know gets sensory overload and has a complete breakdown because right. at, at that point you know. Then he overcomes it and we're looking at inspiration porn here and we lose that idea of, uh, you know, the fact that this is a human being, you know, yeah. at that point we're we we've written a disability for 100 pages. Yeah. Ken, how about you, man? I'd love to hear what you got going on in your mind right now. Yeah. So, you know, I'm I'm learning more and more about these characters every time I keep revisiting them and you know the the word that comes to mind is three-dimensional you know it's, it's like every walk of life you're walking down the street you see someone and that's how you're painting it is what I would see if I'm walking down the street it's not like you said where you're you're bashing someone over the head hey this person's autistic you're throwing some characteristics out there but again you're not preaching with it it's and that's not how society is. It's not how life is. You don't walk down the street and, you know, someone's jumping in your face saying, hey, I'm autistic. It's you look at it, especially if you're, you know, if you don't have a lot of experience with autism, you're looking at it and go, hmm, something's different there, but I can't quite put my finger on it. And that's how it is. So I love the fact that, you know, he did this in such a subtle way because that's what life is. It's there's a lot of subtlety in life and it's not until you really start peeling the layers back that you really find out what a person is. So, yeah, I again, I, I keep harping on character development. And that's he was able to do it in a very short amount of time, 35,000 words. So, And, you know, to uh, 
well, I guess I'm not hosting, but to to for, in my <laughs> mind to kind of wrap up this topic, um, one of my favorite uh, moments with with Josh is you know right after they finish up at the Hale House, and you know one one of my biggest things I li- I, I like to dispel about autistic people is um, a, a lot of people who don't know somebody with autism think that they're you know challenged in showing emotion that they don't have a sense of humor and i really enjoyed working with josh's sense of humor uh when you know he has a a a certain slightly rigid way of talking in his dialogue a little bit stilted um for the first 25 pages he you know doesn't curse at all whereas travis is a veritable sailor um and the first time he lets one fly, you know, it's right after he's told Travis, you know, stop cursing so much. It's exhausting. And, you know, when he just said, we just saw a fucking ghost. And then he and he can't just leave it at that. He has to explain his rationale behind it. This was an appropriate place to use the word. Um, that's I, I that's one of my favorite, you know, places to nail down. This is who that character is. And you come back to it a couple of times as a yeah. as a joke. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious Which why was in the, it, that was in my in my joke question. I was like, what do you have against the word fuck? But we didn't we didn't get to it. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> you just, you just I, I think it's a I think it's a filthy word and I would never ever I would never fucking ever say fuck. <laughs> I know. I, I would never ever fucking say that. <laughs> it's like I told Jonathan Mayberry, you can't fucking curse on a show, man. That's not cool. Yeah. Uh, I got a serious question, though. Is there a particular reason why you tackled um, ghost hunting as opposed to insert any other supernatural element? Uh, yeah, that that's actually really easy. Um, I wanted to get these characters into a house, and that was the very first that that was the very first way that occurred to me to get them into this forbidden house because i i wanted them to be in a house that is no, notorious within reason but not crawling with with you know other people essentially closed to the public and i said okay how the hell do i get them in there um and you know like gabino mentioned earlier i didn't want to go down the you know technology route um number one i think that's you know the people who don't enjoy a ghost hunter story that's what they don't enjoy about it i know that's true for me uh number two that's a lot of research for something people don't want to fucking read uh and uh number three it doesn't i don't feel like it fit with you know and this this is of course josh josh's obsession i don't feel like it fit with his character the people who uh, get that, you know, invest in that kind of technology and all that, they're trying to get YouTube famous. You know, it's it's to me, it's pretty clear early on that he doesn't want to, you know, uh, despite the jokes in there about it, he doesn't want to write a book. He doesn't want to, you know, strike it rich because he got the this photographic evidence. He doesn't want to have, you know, a YouTube video with a billion followers he just likes doing this and there's you know no reason to to pull technology into the mix so that's that's why i went with reluctant ghost hunters what do you think josh why do you think josh likes it doing this so much um 
again, this is kind of I, I never really go into it. If 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 you ask me for like my, you know, internal character Bible, I'd say it's just, you know, a fashion, a fascination from childhood. That makes me want to ask if you're going to write a prequel, because like I will if Josh has something to do with the uh, supernatural or the other world or whatever, um, I want to read that. I, I that's something I wanted to say earlier is that uh, I found myself finishing the book and I'm like, what happens next? Like, I really I, I do love these characters. And it's hard for me personally to separate, uh, I guess, a bias from, <laughs> from from just, like, reading your stuff. But I, I really think it's a great book. And I don't know, man. I'm excited for the general public to read this. So I want to lead into this. The blurbs that you have received so far from like Abino or Laurel or Ron um, or Haley or I'm probably missing some names. From that to the very soon to be released date, uh, what do you, what's going on in your head? Lots. Uh, I mean, the, 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 the <laughs> I don't know. That's such, that's such a big question. There's so that's many. That's a very big so, uh, question. Yeah, no, I'm gonna try and tackle them one at a time. I mean, the, you know, we talked about Ron's blurb, and besides the fact that it came back to me within a week, I, I mean, I just I love it to death. I mean, it's we got it right here on the back of the book. He says, "Slattery Falls brings a fresh and exciting resonance to the classic haunted house tale. The cry in the night, the word on the wall, the horrors underneath." all become palatable and personal under LaFaro's masterful, his words, not mine, masterful execution. Uh, oh, the not for resale thing's helping me here. A chilling story to be savored by lamplight in the thick black hours of night by an author of tremendous talent and heart. I, I mean, that, that's the first, the first thing that came in, you know, accepting, of course, the, the, the publisher and, and, and you, Patrick, that's the first feedback I get to this and it's from uh an author who I have not known for a long time but man I respect the hell out of him and and man can he write uh so to get that was huge you know uh Todd Keesling had a wonderful uh blurb in there um about big big on he loved the characters uh Tyler Jones had some excellent things to say Haley Piper you mentioned and Laurel Hightower uh Gabino's was mean he just wrote this sucks and we couldn't put that in the book uh, <laughs> but you know I, I appreciated the hell out of <laughs> I appreciated the hell out of anybody who sure even, sweet. You know, took the time out of their day <laughs> to read it and you know shared those kind words um with with us being what three days away from release, I mean I've got this I got this mix of you know excitement and nerves and and I gotta imagine you know that for somebody who's putting a book out you know for the first time in the world that's probably par for the course you know it certainly helps that I've had a couple stories out in, in the world so this is not the first thing anybody's going to be reading but it's definitely the thing I'm most proud of so that certainly. I don't know, I, I guess ups the stakes. You know, I want, I, I hope that people love it. How painful was the editing process? 
Well, for, the editor, uh, uh, I forget his name, McDonald's or something like that. Uh, real dickhead. Huge Cletus dickhead. Cletus McFucknuts, yeah, I know. <laughs> Cletus McFucknuts. Um, no, the editing, you know, and I, I <laughs> it's going to sound like I'm saying this just because you're here, Ken, but, you know, I, I shared it with Patrick personally. I absolutely loved the editing process. Um, when I when I got the edits back, I think I I went through them in four or five days because I just I couldn't wait to get home from work and just, you know, sit in front of that computer for a couple hours. It's, you know, it, there were and, and I think a lot of it is the attitude I went in there with, which is I wrote the first word of this story. A, a year and a half ago, you know, oh, and uh, I know it can be better. Um, I, I am 110% certain that it can be better. So when one of those little track changes pops up on the side of the screen, I'm not thinking, what does this asshole want now? I'm thinking, you know, you, you know what? The, the sentence would be uh, better without, would be tighter without that word. I'm thinking, you know, this adjective or that adjective, you know, we, we could add something in here. We could take something out here. We could change this. And I think that would make the story better. Um, and, you know, there were a couple places where it's, you know, it's like, OK, I see why he suggested that. But I think it changes, you know, uh, what what I want, how I wanted that sentence to come off. Um, and, you know, the editor for uh, All Their Grace was very, very receptive to any suggestions that I put in there. Um, and I like to think that's because I didn't make a suggestion on every single one. You know, oh, I know you want to get rid of is, but hear me out. What if we kept it? Um, you know, it it was a learning experience. And I really think that just over the course of four or five days, uh, an, an in-depth look at all the things that I could do to make a story I was proud of tighter, better, leaner, faster, um, I think it made me a better writer. It was like taking a week-long workshop. I also don't think you were as mean as you tell people. <laughs> Stop it. Now you're, you're screwing up my image I got here. Yeah. Yeah. So, Brennan, uh, does anyone else have anything on the topic of this book? If not, I will move on to uh, his short fiction. All right. Moving on to your short, <laughs> short fiction. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just looking up and you guys are all like, yeah, come on, dumbass, go. Uh, so you're short fiction, man. You got a few. You need a co-host, like a permanent <laughs> co-host. This is somebody why. To somebody to drag your ass out of the fire when you get in trouble. God, I'm just like a fat bitch that's like, yeah, save me, strong man named Brennan. Um, really weird. <laughs> super weird. Where's that going? No one knows. So let's move on to the question of short fiction. You you sold like what a few stories uh, last year. Yeah, I've had uh, I've got two stories out in the world now. Uh, the very first one I sold, uh, Nico Bell put together a cold weather horror anthology, and I wrote a story about ice spiders uh, in a New Hampshire cottage. And it was, um, I think it was the first time I tried to write a creature feature. And it was, you know, relatively straightforward, but it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, it, it, if all you're reading is Slattery Falls, you won't know this, but I, I tend to write from the point of view of kids a lot because 
I tend to spend a lot of hours every day around kids. Um, I won't pretend to know completely how they think, but I think I have better insight into that than people who don't work as a teacher. Um, so that one came out in January. Um, I had another story in Proliscariot, Tales of Horror and Class Warfare, an anti-capitalism anthology. And uh, that that was, I don't know what the cutoff is for Flash, but that was a short one. That was only about a thousand words. And it was based on uh, around the beginning of, of the pandemic, there was, I saw a news story about this, you know, big company uh, that sent that, you know, had a COVID outbreak, had to send everybody home and then brought them all back unreasonably quickly. And the it, it kind of came to light that the uh, the head people in that company were taking wagers on how many workers would get sick and how many workers would die. Um, and I actually don't know if anything ever came of that. Probably not. Um, but I, I kind of had a story that I, that popped into my head uh, based off of that. And that's all I got because our co our host is apparently using the bathroom. He question and vanished. Yeah, no, he <laughs> does that. That's why he needs a co-host, somebody to pretend he didn't just go to the bathroom. So I'll just keep droning on. So I also have a uh, story coming out in a few months. Um, I, the best way I can think to describe it is uh, coming of age body horror uh, about a little kid who goes down to play in the creek after school, uh, you know, catch some crayfish in his pail and he finds a toe and then he finds a finger and he starts collecting body parts and we go from there. Uh, that's going to be in blackberry blood which is coming out in i think november and uh it has daniel barnett in it it's got scott cole and uh sadie hartman's going to be writing the forward on that one did you get all that patrick <laughs> caught it all man oh yeah <laughs> audio <laughs> listeners don't know what the fuck you're talking about right oh now. they do <laughs> <laughs> You know, the troubling part of having someone in the guest spot that knows me as well as you is that they know me as well as you. But it's not about me, Brian. So why don't we continue talking about the spiders and shit that you were just mentioning and the toes? Yeah, we finished, so. <laughs> we're done with this question. Next. <laughs> this isn't a roast on me. It's a roast on you, bitch. It's always a roast on you, Patrick. <laughs> Ah, uh, story of my life. Ken, go ahead. You were talking. Um, yeah, so there's another short story that he hasn't mentioned that it's uh, called I Will Meet You There. Are you familiar with this one? Am I familiar with it? Yes, I wrote it. Do you recall this one? Yeah, I okay, do. Well, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but that was just accepted two seconds ago to uh midnight from beyond the stars you motherfucker <laughs> congratulations man that's fucking um, awesome that's uh that's that's really fucking cool man and 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 i've got a couple people on here who uh i'll be sharing a table of contents with for the very first time that's uh that's big uh yeah. so 
I've, yeah. I've known for a couple of weeks now, but I, you know, <laughs> I wanted to wait till this moment. Oh, man, congrats. Well, thank That's you, man. Yeah. Um, and you know what? Just a little behind the scenes on that story. You know, I, I mentioned earlier that with Slattery Falls that I, I could I could not have written that in third person. Uh, I don't think it would have worked. This is this is the polar opposite. This story was originally written in second person. And um, it's you know, I, I, I was pretty happy with it, but. I realized that I was kind of using second person like more as a gimmick than anything else. It really belonged in third person. And uh, I went I went back through it, you know, clarified a couple things and uh, added probably a thousand words to the original and ended up with something I was really pretty happy with. Um, something I did my my biggest thing I wanted to capture with that one you know one of my favorite movies of all time is is Alien because I don't think that any movie captures the isolation that makes horror scary quite as maybe not quite as well but quite the same way that one does and I I, I wanted to go for that very alone you know feeling that Alien captures whether I nailed it or not apparently you will be able to find that out in November or whenever that anthology comes out, but thank you, man. I I am uh, I'm 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 borderline speechless, which doesn't happen usually. I need more beer then. <laughs> Cheers. Cabino or Ron, go ahead, sirs. That's that's awesome news, man. That's yeah. You don't you don't get to see that often. You you learn on social media or somebody sends you a text. So that was, uh, that was pretty cool that, uh, that's a packed anthology. <laughs> and, and that's, it, it keeps getting better. So, um, I look forward to actually sitting down and reading the whole thing. Like I usually get into anthologies and then I'll read, you know, one or two stories, put it aside, read for other things, come back two, three stories. But, uh, uh, I think I might just have to sit down and, and read that whole thing in one sitting. This was going to take you a while. By the time I'm, I'm yeah. done <laughs> announcing all of the authors in there, it's it's going to be the same thing like uh, uh, Midnight from the Pentagram. It's going to be that damn big. So I, I it's my own fault. I, I get greedy. I keep saying, oh, I'm only going to have this many in there. And then I'll, I'll read more stories. I'm like, oh, man, that was too good to pass up. So I'll pick up that one. I'm like, oh, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know. uh, I get excited every day just waiting to see who can announce his next. You know, you know what, when I found out Gabino was going to be in there, I thought, yes, you know, this is this is really turning out going to be a great anthology, you know, uh, with Al coming in and, and Gabino. And and it's, it's just, you know, it's really turned out to be a great lineup. Yeah, I, I'm I'm totally stoked. I can't wait. So, Brennan, I get to ask, man, like, what are you currently working on? All right. So, uh, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that uh, when I finished this book, I put it aside and started on, you know, other stuff to keep busy. Uh, so I've got another novella that has it, it's done. It's been through betas. It's been through my my edits and it's out on submission with a few places. Uh, I am currently compiling i don't know what the hell i'm going to do with it but i'm putting together a short story collection 
Uh, it's sitting around 50,000 words right now. Um, and at the moment, I'm trying my hand at writing something a little bit longer than the novella form. And I'm enjoying it. It's a different experience, you know, because you you can't you can't quite capture the go 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 tone of Slattery Falls in something that's gonna be you know seventy thousand words or something like that. And I'm doing my best to you know steer away from the boring parts. But I think I I think I'm gonna get it up to that word count and then I'm gonna cut the absolute love and shit out of it uh, when I when I go back and look at it later this year. <laughs> Now, the next question is, uh, what would you advise people? You're you're a shy guy. Like, you remind me of my neighbor who became one of my buddies. And he uh, kind of said to me, if you did not initially talk to me, uh, <laughs> we wouldn't be talking. I feel like that's the same thing with you and I. So I bring that up because... Uh, what do you have to say to newer writers, um, people aspiring to write? Because um, there's there's a lot of things that you've done in a short amount of time. So I, I would love to hear what your advice is to them or what your suggestions are to them. <laughs> Dude, my, my, my advice is Brian Keene's advice. Ass in chair, fingers on keyboard. Um, <laughs> You know, like going back to what I said earlier, I, I didn't know how to start until I did. Um, you know, don't 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 put it off. If you want to try and write something, then try to write something. Um, and y you got to you got to put in the work, you know, um, if I <laughs> once once I got down to, you know, realized this was something I wanted to finish that I didn't want to be just one of those other people who was like, Oh yeah, I tried to write a book once when I was 30, um, that I wanted to actually finish this thing. You know, I, I won't say I write every day, but you know, average week I'm there five or six times. And you know, if I can't hit a thousand words, I'm close. Um, and you know, there are some days where I'm up at, you know, 6am off to work, teaching piano and guitar lessons till eight o'clock at night, come home, got to do the dishes. There's nights where it doesn't happen. Um, but you, you gotta make the, you, you gotta make the space for it. And it's, uh, you know, when I was in music school, um, do you guys know how many hours there are in a week off the top of your head? No. 172. And the reason I know that is because I had a music teacher who, whenever you'd show up to ensemble and you'd say, I didn't have time to practice, that guy would make you account for those 172 hours since the last practice. You know, he'd say, OK, you can have eight hours of sleep. You're in college. You're not getting that. But fuck it. I'll give it to you. Uh, you know, you can have three hours a day for meals. You're not eating that long, but I'll give it to you. Classes, homework, uh, take Sundays off. And, you know, you'd still have 20 hours in your week. Um, it's the, the time is there if you want it to be, um, if it's some, if this is something you want to do, you'll find the time, you know, it's the same thing that I, I, I'll say to my, my piano kids who don't practice now, um, <laughs> it, it, you know, they'll, well, you know, I couldn't because of soccer. It's like, you know, if soccer was important, you made the time for it, you know, and I'm not saying you gotta, you gotta spend 
uh, 20 hours a week practicing piano. But if it's something you want to do, if writing or piano or guitar or literally anything is something you want to do, you'll find a way to make the time for it. One of you fellas, jump in, please. <laughs> it's the uh, uh, the last thing I wrote for uh, Cemetery Gate Society. It came out about two days ago, and uh, it was it was exactly what what Brennan is saying. Uh, I don't I don't care if you complain about not having time to write. I better not see you tomorrow telling me that you watched four back to back episodes of your favorite series. That's mm. it's not <laughs> it, nobody's going to give you time, uh, but carve it out like you can skip that one nap. Uh, you don't have to watch that documentary right now. Get it done. I want an agent. Did you write? No, I, I want to sell something to Netflix. Did you write it yet? No. Uh, <laughs> I want to get published by so-and-so. Did you write something for them? No. It all, it, it, it starts with the writing. And that's that's exactly what Brian says and what, uh, you know, Joe Lansdale has says for, said for ages. Um, ass in chair, get it done. And then the rest uh, will flow or not. Uh, but you won't know till you, uh, till you get the writing done. Brandon, I'm going to put you on the spot. Isn't that what we've been doing for like an hour and a half now? You know what? Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> with this show, has it helped you uh, with the writing, with the confidence, or what have you? Oh, God. I mean, that's, that's yeah, that's not even a question. I mean, we... we I, I asked or... a question, so it was a question. Okay, well, it's uh, absolutely um, is the answer, <laughs> you know. How many people have we talked to in the last like 15 months that have been there, that have done that, that, you know, people like Lansdale who have been, you know, made a complete career out of it. Um, um, like well, five times, uh, Cam like four times, Cabino three times. Yeah. I mean, we, we've just we've talked to some incredible writers who, you know, span the gamut, like in, in terms of career experience, some people who are newer, some people who've been at it for a while, people who've tried it this way, people who've tried it that way. And I mean, if if you're if you have the opportunity like we do to talk to writers for, you know, like two nights a week, which is pretty much what we average um, and you're not learning anything, then you need to work on your interview skills um it's it, you know I, I i've taken away so much and it it gives you the opportunity to be a little bit selfish you know uh it's there's almost like this unwritten rule of like i'm gonna let you plug you know we're gonna talk about your book i read it i loved it let's let's sing the praises of your book and see if we can get some people to pick it up but then i'm gonna pick your brain and i want you to tell me i want you to tell the listeners but i want you to tell me what you know um and you know, you hear a lot of stuff, you try it out, you take some to heart. Uh, and, so, you know, everybody's different. Some things are going to work, some things are not going to work for you. But yeah, I mean, I don't believe for a second that I would be not even have have learned as much about writing as I did. That's certainly true, but that I would be as open to to certain amount of things. You know, we talked earlier about editing. Um, and one of the reasons that I really was able to see editing as uh, an opportunity to improve my writing was because we had Ken Kane on and, and he told us about that, you know, 
the the editor is not working against you. The editor is, you know, you both have the same common goal. You have this piece of thing that's got legs and your job is to make it the best it can possibly be. That's what the editor wants. That's what you want. So, you know, you're not fighting each other. It shouldn't the relationship should never be like that. You're working together. Um, but yeah, I mean, the show has been absolutely invaluable as far as, you know, mining information and, you know, meeting a lot of really excellent people. I got I got Mr. Kelly down in my left hand corner here because we invited him on the show to talk about his book of disgusting sick stories. Um, you know, I've and 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 he turned out to be one of the nicest guys, you know, that we've talked to. I've got Gabino on because, you know, we 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 invited this is your third time on. Um, you sat in and talked about you know, the ins and outs of rejection, both as a writer, as a teacher, as a, as an editor, as even. a person, even. as a human. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Always That's... getting rejected as a human. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we invited McKinley on twice last year. Now we can't get rid of him. I, know. <laughs> I feel like it might be the other way around. Then it's not. It's a cycle. That's it's a cyclical issue. Yeah, that's awesome to hear, man. Um, I'm too close to this topic. Someone else should talk. I'm on a... I've been hearing the, the dog scratching on the door downstairs, so I'm going to pull a Patrick and go figure out what the hell's going on. Hey, audio uh, listeners don't know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> Ron or Ken, please jump in. Get in there, Ron. Mm, I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> All right, I'll save you. Brennan, <clears throat> let's talk about the one thing we didn't talk about in the book that I really enjoyed was the character Weeks. What was your inspiration? Oh damn! I was I, I thought I thought after uh, Patrick brought that up and then it didn't go any further. We, we might avoid that one. I I, I got to be honest with you guys. I, I there there isn't much of one. Um, I wanted to write a, a creepy ass character who you know I, I wanted to write a um, kind of a looming ghost figure, and as as it went along, you know I just kind of started exploring the backstory a little bit like you know this guy has he's been around for a long time you know a, back in england you know traces back further than that and you know consciously or not the book was always going to deal with kids because that's it, it's my life i can't escape it you know i'm with kids all day and i come home and there's more kids here um and you know the whole purpose of being a horror writer is you know, is dealing with things that scare you. At least that's my opinion. You know, if if your biggest fear is getting, you know, trapped in 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 an empty house with ghosts, then write that story. My biggest fear is something happening to my kids, whether it's, you know, my kids that are in the other room, probably not asleep, probably giving their mom hell right now. Um, or whether it's, you know, my kids that are, under that are under my watch when I'm at school, you know, the, the, the worst case scenario is the these kids that I care about in, in one capacity or another. What if something happened to them? And, you know, as much as this, I, I can't pinpoint an exact 
um, genesis, I guess, of of Robert Weeks, um, it was always going to have to do with with kids. Um, and now, as far as creating the backstory, I I don't know where that came from. It just it just kind of poured out, and it was it was just one of those. Uh, you know, writing sessions that I heard people had, but I didn't believe it until it happened to me, where, you know, the journal entries that come in in the book um, and the, you know, library basement microfiche sessions, um, it, it, it was rattling around in here somewhere and it poured out, thankfully, coherently on the page. But and, you know, through the editing process, when I read through this book like 15 times, those are some of my favorite parts. I really enjoy reading those back. <laughs> yeah, mine too. I love the fact that it's got a historical aspect to it, even though it's fictional history. Um, I don't know. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that a lot. But now, my next question is, do we oh, need to search your basement to see if you've been digging down there here in the last year or so? Well, <laughs> I can tell you I don't have a basement, so no. <laughs> backyard i don't have a basement okay <laughs> john one guess he only had a crawl space and look what he did you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you don't have that i don't have a basement that's that's all i'll say <laughs> yeah so like i was saying uh dorothea uh what's her name she is a serial killer. It was an older woman that buried uh, people in the garden. So, Brennan, you keep saying you don't have a basement. Do you have a garden? I have a garden. <laughs> it's filled with bodies. The plants are growing very well. <laughs> it's like secret window. Spoilers. So he doesn't have it, so. Brian, we're going to jump to uh, what are you reading now, unless anyone has anything else to say. Brennan, what are you yeah. reading right now? Oh, go I, ahead, Kabina. I do not want to uh, interrupt, Brennan, but unless one of you is going to fly in and uh, pick up turds from uh, uh, from, <laughs> from my living room, I got to take the dog out. Uh, so, <laughs> so I'll be I'll be the one to uh, interrupt to say, I'm sorry I can't tuck books duck needs to take a shit uh but it's been real I that's legitimate Cabino, <laughs> thank you for uh, allowing us to uh be with you man have yeah. a great night no man, yeah, I, hey, man I appreciate your saturday night really do thanks Cabino. hey man i no other place i'd rather be and uh uh congrats on the book man it's uh it's awesome and uh once you're done partying uh the work starts now you know, I never stop partying. Yep. <laughs> uh, you got to sell it, man. So, uh, so get to work. Uh, I, I will, man. I will. And hey, I will right, pretend Chris. I didn't learn some of that from you. Hey, blame me. Fuck it. Uh, Absolutely. It. <laughs> I, I blame you for all that fucking work that I got to do now. <laughs> blame me. I'll take the blame. But uh, you're the one who has to do it anyway. So get to it. <laughs> yep. Have a good night. Thanks, thanks for coming, man. I will, uh, uh, thanks for having me. I will talk to all of you soon. I'll see you, bro. All right, cheers. Yeah. Brennan, yes. where were we? You were going to ask me politely what I'm reading. Uh, I just lost Brennan. 
There he is. <laughs> Sir, what are you currently reading? I am uh, reading a couple things. I started reading Janine Pipe's book, uh, Twisted Tainted Tales. Um, it's so much alliteration that I have to look at it every time I say the title or I will mess it up. Um, and you know what? She, she, she does something that I really dig. Uh, when, when, when collections do this, there's kind of like this wraparound overarching story, um, like an introduction. Uh, it's, you know, um, almost a little book of blood E, um, where there's this intro that, you know, sets up where all these stories came from. And then we check in with the narrator every so often between stories. I think that's a cool device, you know, uh, when you stumble on it every so often. And I am also, I'm trying to finally work through all these uh, Death, Death's Head Press Splatter Westerns. I've gotten all the way to number four. Um, the Night Silver River Run Red uh, by Christine Morgan. And uh, it's, th this one's, uh, it's different so far. It's like, I didn't realize that there were really no, like, young characters in the first several, it, it's pretty much just all grown, dirty men shooting the shit out of each other. Um, so, like, this one automatically just follows a group of kids, you know, at a traveling circus. And it's it, it's nice, you know. Uh, I, I dig the whole splatter western thing, but I could see how it would get very repetitive very fast if not done well. So, All right. Uh, excellent. <laughs> You're, you're the host. It's your job to throw it to other people. I feel like you can so just keep waiting weird. for me to do it. I'm yeah, the no, guest, man. I'm going to act like the goddamn guest. It's yeah, super I can, weird. I can tell who's uh, who leans on who in this show, huh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why do you think I'm very much so into putting my face as a logo? I'm like, hey, I'm the, I'm the talent. No, that's not true. So, Ken, what are you currently reading? So, I am currently reading three gazillion manuscripts. But outside of that, I'm reading um, Rosemary's Baby by Ira Levin for Unburying the Dead. Such a good book. I'm like two hours away because I jumped to the audio version and it's like, it says me, Myra, Maya Farrow. I'm pretty sure that's the actress that was in Ro yeah. Rose. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's she's she's narrating it. It says Maya Farrow. Wow, it it that's Mia awesome. Yeah. What? It says Mia Farrow. Oh, Mia. What did I say, Maya? Yes, Pardon. three times. Close enough. <laughs> <laughs> Ron, what are you currently reading? I'm halfway through Tim Meyer's *Malignant Summer*. Loving it. Great book. Um, I Another just finished. Another beefy What's tone. That? Yes, it was a beefy tone. It it is so, but I mean the story. I mean character development's wonderful, and you know that's 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 what you get when you you know when you get a a book of that length. You you really get you know characters develop very well and everything, and and uh, Tim's done a great job with this one, and I finished. Uh, Reading Weird Tales, uh, S.D. Velasco's um, um, editing it, and it's got a lot of great people like Jonathan Mayberry and Gabino and 
and Cena and and um, Sisters of Slaughter, you know, and I'm doing the introduction for it. So nice, so, nice. So that's a that, that was a, a a big kick to do that, and and uh, then I've got Joe Lansdale's uh, new um, book from uh, Death's Head Press. Uh, uh, the snow yep. one. <laughs> yes. The Wait, snow. Does, Ken, does Ken have that? I do not have that. Wow. We own I can't believe I own something that you don't. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've been I've been ordering a lot of I've been ordering a lot of, you know, the new books from the authors and and from, you know, the publishers directly from the publishers, you know, because uh, um it, I think it's better to to buy direct because you know the money goes straight to the authors or to the publishers instead of Amazon getting their big old chunk of it and and um, and plus I like signed books you know so you know if if a new author comes out with something I really would like to have you know I go directly to them you know pr- you know message them and and see if they have some in stock you know. So. Yeah. Now, Brennan, the question for you is for Slattery Falls, are you going to do, are you going to take up like a, old Ron here does and throw some artwork on there for every signed edition? <laughs> uh, people, people would not want that. I'm not much of an artist, so <laughs> yeah, I, Tim I Ma- could draw three, uh, just draw three stick figures. <laughs> That's Tim Meyer, right? I, I've dug myself a hole with this artwork because when I get scares, the cares, you know, Oh, you know, I'd probably do it because I won't have the time to do it. Maybe you know, but it is. It's a lot, you'd, you'd be there all day and night. Yeah. Yeah. Tim Meyer yeah. actually commented on that on Twitter. He said that uh, he's like, I got to up my game for the yeah. signage. Yeah, yeah. I think that was Tim Myers. Said that. Yeah. I mean, look at that. That's Bro. not. That's not quick. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah I, 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 I got a nice little shipment from Ron here a couple weeks ago, and good lord, I mean, he must have spent an hour on the stuff that he did. Well, that's why it takes people so long to get my books because I I put a little effort into it, and when I have a when I have like two or three stacks I need to do, you know, I'm not going to rush through it. I mean, I want I want you know people to have something special to you know when they open it up and say you know. You know, he really thought a lot when he signed this book for me. So, well, yeah, that, and that's effective because I'm not going to get a Ronald Kelly book from Amazon <laughs> for that exact reason. So, what I am currently reading is yeah, we, I'm, I'm <laughs> okay. God damn it! I'm finishing up Rosemary's Baby. I think it's really great, and then I'm going to dive into the uh, movie and um, reading John Foster's Rooster. And it's it's pretty cool. It's just about a hitman and kicks ass. I don't know a better way to talk about the synopsis besides that. So, Brennan, uh, I don't know if you know this, but like for the listeners, they can go to deadheadspace.com and they can check out reviews, articles. They can even look at the links for this episode. Mm-hmm. And they can also click the store tab to check out my ugly ass mug on a coffee mug or like a face mask. Not not sure if that's going to be a thing a year from now, but like you could still buy it. So, uh, Brendan, where can people follow you? 
Hey, it's good to have during cold and flu season. That's true. Yeah. Especially uh, if you're he, in uh, North North Quincy. <laughs> what accent was that? I tried for Boston accent, but like I've been drinking, so I don't think that's Swing and a miss, sir. Um, people can follow me on Twitter is probably where you're most likely to get an answer. Uh, at Brennan LaFaro. Uh, you can go to BrennanLafaro.com, and that has Instagram, that has Twitter, that that has everything you could possibly need. Um, Gabino mentioned earlier writing a an essay um, for the newest issue of Cemetery Gates Society. Uh, I've got an interview in there. That's front page of the website if you want to link to that. It's probably also on my Twitter. Um, yeah, that's and and Instagram, which I don't update super often, but I am there, is at Brennan LaFaro. And uh, I can't go with final thoughts. What are your final thoughts, sir? I, you know what? Thank you guys for putting together this episode. I had a, I had an absolute blast. You know, you, uh, you, you, you worry that you can't talk about your book for an hour. I mean, I, I tried to sit down, uh, and you know, before Ken saved my ass, I tried to sit down and write the back cover copy. I'm like, I can't talk about this book for two paragraphs. How the hell am I going to fill up an hour and a half? Um, but man, the time flies. Uh, you know, great, great, thoughtful questions. Um, and just appreciate the hell out of the three of you. And of course, Gabino, appreciate your support so much. Absolutely. Uh, Ron, final thoughts, sir? Uh, just love being on the show. I mean, it seems like every every show we have some new stuff to talk about. And, and I'm very, very happy for Brennan, very proud of Brennan uh, for his accomplishments in such a short time because it, from the time I started writing to the time I actually got published was 12 years. So, so if you can make it that quick, you know, I mean, my hat's off to you. You really did um, a great job. When, when Ron, like Ron told me when he started writing and uh, compared to when he got his first story, short story published, that blew my mind. Uh, yeah, Brennan, I echo it because, man, I started writing in 2013 and I, I listed off earlier what I have written so far. You are, you're just scratching the surface. That's my final thoughts. Ken, what are your final thoughts? Final thoughts. Um, very proud of you, man. Um, you've come a long way very fast. Um, I tried hard as hell not to publish you <laughs> you made it you made it impossible to ignore um oh. to me that's that's the indication of a hell of a writer so uh congratulations you've earned every every accolade um you're a true champion of the industry uh, i couldn't be proud of you i appreciate that man really appreciate that that is awesome so don't, don't know how I feel about you springing the story acceptance on air live, but no, I, <laughs> I love that. I love that. I love that, man. I think that was uh, that that was really cool. And Brandon, I fucking told you he'd do that. <laughs> Listen, you, you, you told me he'd do that, Pat. So <laughs> we oh, all man. had a suspicion, you know. Yep. <laughs> Listeners, next episode, episode 107, is with Daniel Barnett. It airs 
this Thursday. So please stay tuned to that. And we have 106 episodes that you can check out at any point in time, not including our Spotlights episode, which also includes the first one, uh, Sam Palaio, and uh, second one is S.A. Hunt. So check those out. Please let us know how you feel about them. And, uh, yeah, many podcasts to listen to. Thank you for picking us. Deadhead space.